Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Random Movie Generator, and welcome, David. Thank you for having me. So I'm ready for a... I've got my scuba gear on, and I'm ready for a deep dive into the ocean of Coen Brothers Cinema. Well, this is a, this is a different type of episode. This is... This is um, like you said, this is called the Deep Dive series. So every so often we'll do a Deep Dive episode. And I've give, I gave you a film... Uh, we did watch it. I gave you a film that I really like, and I'd love to hear your views on it. That that's the angle of this. Wonderful stuff, absolutely. I saw this when it first came out in the cinema. So, the film is very true. Let's announce no it. No Country for Old Men. Absolutely, No Country for Old Men. Coen Brothers film came out in. How are you, David? Good, good. I'm in good spirits, and I'm um, chomping at the bit to chat about this movie because I think um, there's a lot going on with it certainly the first what, what interests me David is if I I give you films that I really like maybe that's the angle and if you don't like them so much that would be a lovely little angle Abs- well this one is a case of I saw it when it first came out in the cinema and um, I was very underwhelmed the first time I watched it Massively, I didn't quite. Un- Can I tell you my experience, David? Yeah, go for Just, it. This is this is a film that I always remember how I felt when I watched it, and um, and my memory, my main memory was I had to turn it off after about forty five minutes because I found it so stressful. I had to have a breather for ten minutes. I was loving it so much and in so much sort of fear for James Brolin that I had to turn it off and just make a cup of tea. I was... So I absolutely didn't find this under, over, underwhelming. So this is like one of your number one movies. Oh, this is... It might be my favourite movie. It's in my top five. Oh, my... There we go. Well, you're not alone. I mean, it was the Oscar film. Full the bizarre situation I had, I was looking back at the first time I saw it, and... Um, uh, it's one of those bizarre things with memories. I don't really recall when I saw it now because I always had the idea that um, I had a very crisp image in my head that I saw it at university all, and I went to Southampton Harbour Lights to see it. And I saw it with all my university friends. Afterwards, they absolutely loved it. 
And I thought, oh God, you're just a bunch of pretentious uni types, you know, even though I was at university too. Because I found Is it. Is that what you thought? Well, I just found it very underwhelming the first time I watched it. It kind of sent me um, mixed signals. It, I, I was expecting a different type of movie, really. But the thing is, it's a bizarre one how your memory really misguides you. Because this came out in 2006. And, 2006. Um, so I was... What was I? 32. 31, 32. 31, 32. So I wasn't at university. That's my point. So I don't know how. Ah, so it's interesting. I really link this to university, and I would have left university two thousand and one. So I've got a whole fake memory linked to it. But when I watched the film, you know, I recognised it. So I obviously have, you know, I had watched it. But um, it subverts a lot of narrative expectations more so than the Coen brothers ever had. And some people enjoy that, how it zigs and zags. But it shows that um, certainly back then, I was a real mainstream man. And um, I think I was... Ex- he's a mainstream man. I'm a mainstream Walking man. down the road is a mainstream man. Walking down, down the, the road is a mainstream man. He's got a cigarette in his, his mouth. mouth. He's a mainstream, mainstream man. man. Living a formulaic life. The mainstream man's got to break out that prison sometime, though, hasn't he? He's got to take his hand out of the mainstream sand. It's weird you say that, because I, I have no memory of that. I have no memory of going, oh, this is zigging and zagging. For me, it just gave me a one massive adrenaline rush. And whenever I whenever I think, right, I want a thriller, I want, I want something that really pumps my nads, I go, I need what I felt that night watching No Country for Old Men. Well, I'd say there's two set pieces which are superb. Do you know what I mean? They're absolutely amazing. But then after that, it kind of, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Second time I watched this, I watched it with a different mentality and um, I got a lot out of it. I wouldn't say. Okay. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, yeah, no, yeah. you go for it. Go for it. You're going to say. No, no, no. Well, I was just thinking, where do we go? Let's go back to the, who's, who directed it? Who wrote it? Where's the story from? Who's in it? Absolutely. It's an interesting one in the sense that where the Cohen brothers were in their career at this point is really important because um, they had just gone on a wild streak of hit after hit, you know, raising Arizona, Barton Fink, Le- uh, Big Lebowski, you know, they were real auteur darlings of the time. But then they hit a massive dip where they did, um, I've got it written down here, uh, are you asking your assistant? I am asking my assistant, absolutely. What's she called again? Um, I've forgotten her name, actually, from the last podcast, which is quite poor. That's not sexist, that's just poor memory. Um, sorry, just very briefly, just just um, trying to get her eye contact. Do you want to take your headphones off, your AirPods or whatever? Um, I do know your name, but I just need to have your entire name because I'm doing my human resource document. So if you could just tell me, Alicia, there we go, it's Alicia. Okay. Well, you sacked the last one, did you? Um, I didn't, actually. It's the same person. So it was Alice. It is Alice, not Alicia. There's an echo in here. There's an echo in this room. It's a lot longer than you think. Alice, thank you for your work. Um, That's what she said. She certainly did. Okay, let's... Okay, let's get to... uh, And she was being sarcastic, I think. You know, I'm not a fool. Um, Let's have a look. So what we're looking at here... Yeah. The, the three films after their big run was uh, Man Who Wasn't There with um, 
uh, Bobby Billy Thornton, and that was a, a bit overly pretentious. It didn't do well at the box office. Then the Cohen brothers tried to be more mainstream with their mode of comedy, and they did um, intolerable cur- cur- uh, cruelty with uh, into uh, the microphone, please. David. Sorry. Into the microphone. Into the microphone. Be professional, Mr. Edwards, for God's sakes, with George Clooney and Catherine Zeta Jones. And then they did the, the Lady Killers with Tom Hanks, the remake, which a lot of people say is the worst Coen Brothers film. So they were going through their Spielberg always hook kind of period. They were going for a big old slump. So they were looking around for a project, and Scott Rudin, the producer, bought the rights to Cormac McCarthy's um, No Country for Old Men. So they were very much part of what they call a package when a producer buys the book, then gets the directors involved, because this isn't a Coen Brothers original idea. This is a book already. And uh, then they were, then he was getting Tommy Lee Jones involved as well. So this is very much a, a Scott Rukin kind of vision, if you like, which involved the Coen Brothers. But obviously when the Coen Brothers got involved, they had his, their auteur style. And um, it's them going back to what they're good at, these kind of heist movie thrillers. Because the last two films, they were trying to do sort of comedic mainstream studio movies. And they were more going back to their indie thriller route. Although it has to be said, one thing for No Country... Did you say Thrilleroo? Uh, Thrilleroot. Oh, uh, Thrilleroo. Thrilleroo. But I think... Thrilleroo. Absolutely, this is going to be a Thrilleroo, I'm boys. I'm a Thrilleroo. Absolutely. But that sounds like a cocktail, doesn't it? I'll have a Thrilleroo, and we'll have a Sex on the Beach afterwards, if I'm crying out loud. Absolutely. Once again, there's a lady... There's a, there's a um, researcher female beside me. A red-headed lady a to your red-headed left. lady. To your right. To my right. Very tall, and uh, she knows her rights... Which I, which I think is a good thing, definitely in today's age. Um, so basically, uh, yeah. So stop, Scott Rukin uh, put it together, and it's very much a case of the Coen Brothers getting back to their roots. But it's quite humorless, really, for a Coen Brothers film. There's a few quirky moments, but it's almost they drop the whole comedy element. There are a few kind of ironic, tongue-in-cheek moments, but it's quite dark on the on the whole. David, and David. So we got people watching um, live in YouTube. Are we? Yeah, oh, yeah. lovely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for Bonjour. joining us. Sam. Now, Sam J is watching. Oh, yes. And he says, apparently, McCarthy wrote No Country for Old Men as a script first. That is correct. But no, but no one would make it. Absolutely. So then he made it into a book, and then the Coen brothers adapted that book. Absolutely, you are quite right. I, I read that recently as well that he actually adapted it into a um, into a, uh, into a script, and it got absolutely nowhere. I suddenly thought to myself, you know, how different is the Coen Brothers to his original script? McCarthy's an interesting guy. He was poverty stricken when he was trying to become a writer. It was quite horrific. What um, and his first wife divorced him. Um, because um, he demanded that she just get a job, even though she had just given birth to their first child and was dealing with the child, because he just wanted to focus on his writing. So, yeah, oh. his output was um, incredible, yeah. So he's writing scripts, novels. He was a dedicated man. He was a priest of literature. Very much the case. So I was just reading, Billy Hay said, I watched it and I had the same experience as David on the left, minus the cup of tea. Minus the cup of tea. Are you are you David on the left? Um, I don't. 
Am I right or left? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying I don't know. Well, I think, you're, I think you're drinking tea, so... Oh, yes. I, um, I can't believe this is just not a unanimous feeling towards oh, this movie. it is unanimous. I mean, people love the film. It's seen as a modern-day classic. So I am in... You know, you are surrounded by uh, many a people in your taste there. One thing I, I would say about it, linking to what this... Um, what was, it, what was his name, sorry? I would like to pe- talk to people with their Christian names, not just some uh, YouTuber, someone who's taken their time and energy to... Um, which which comment uh, are you, do you uh, want to reply to? The one who noticed I was uh, sipping from tea, and he greeted uh, me. Billy. Billy, similar to... Billy oh, no, uh, uh, Billy Hay, no, you are. No, he's talking to me. Oh, right. Oh, he's... Oh, right. So, he agrees with you. Uh, he had the same experience as me. Oh, good. Perhaps. For me, go. David, Solidarity. this is a modern-day Terminator movie. Yes, it is very much a modern day. And it's also got a Rambo vibe to it as well. It's almost got um, the idea of the Vietnam vet, you know, using his skills type of thing to get through um, different situations. But definitely Terminator, it goes without saying. But the thing is, um, it uses the framework of Terminator, but then subverts it and moves away from it. I mean, there's some massive Hollywood mainstream no-nos that um, are just... You know, incredible. I mean, the other thing is, the film com- comes to an end so quickly, so suddenly, so not quickly, suddenly. I thought my DVD legitimately, ha- well, not DVD, cinema reel, wherever it was I watched it, had broken. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a sarcastic comment. I was like, why has it gone to black? Let's tell people who haven't seen it, who are listening to the podcast, and uh, we love you to bits. What's it? What's the film about, David? It is about uh, Llewellyn, played by Josh Brolin, and um, he's a cowboy. It's a uh, noir western. It's a chase movie, and it's definitely got a Terminator-esque vibe. And there are three men in this tale. Josh Brolin, who, um, when I went to see it, I saw him as my surrogate self, my protagonist. If you're going to take the Terminator metaphor, my Reese kyle you know the guy taking on the terminator and he um, lives in a trailer park low on money uh married to kelly mcdonald the female actress in the train spotting films but does an incredible american accent he comes across two cars uh with shot up men in because it's a drug deal that's gone wrong and in the in this way it's very formulaic in the sense you've got a mcguffin an object that motivates the plot in the form of money that he's going to now take um because he's on obviously on hard times so you have that element and that do you not get that feeling as soon as he takes that bag of money you go oh dear because in the first five minutes they've set up Javier Bardem's character they have very true who who I think he managed to manages to kill a couple of people in five minutes in a brutal gruesome way well the most brutal one is definitely with the um the, the arm chains, not the arm, the handcuffs, where he gets the policeman on the floor and it's one take and he just strangles him. And also his um, selected uh, weapon of choice is the cattle gun, isn't that? Where he basically puts um, large bits of metal through their, people's brains, like you're going to kill a cattle and sell it to McDonald's. So he literally sees human beings as animals, doesn't he? Just to turn their... He sees them as flesh puppets and just cuts off their strings. Yeah, and I don't. I think the second murder, he just stops someone, a uh, member of the public, just driving along the road. He pulls up in a police car, gets him out of the car, and then just. Yeah, simple as that. Ruthless. Incredibly rude, like a robot, the whole Terminator element. And there's no. Um, 
fancy uh kind of like gun going off any hollywood cliche it just it hardly even makes a sound does it it's just an air pressure cylinder can you do the sound and again is it it really is like Are you making a sound now? Or? I, I, I'm listening to you. I'm trying to get some uh, pointers from good self. Yeah. So Josh Brolin finds this uh, sort of drug deal that's gone wrong. Takes, finds a dead man under a tree with a bag of money. Takes the money. Then what? Then um, uh, Sugar, Javier Bendan. I can't quite pronounce his name. Apologies. Sugar? Sugar is the name of his actual... Sugar is the name of the actual character. So he sounds like a stripper, like come over here, sugar. But in actual fact, it's it's done with a uh, European slant or twist, if you like. So it sounds sugar. a bit more sugar. There we go. When I'm next at Tesco's, I'm going to ask you, where is the sugar aisle, please? Uh, where can I find the sugar? So you've got that element, which is a lot of fun. He's now after Josh Brolin. And uh, then you've got the third person, Tommy Lee Jones, who's um, trying to tell them both because everywhere they go, bodies are found as they have their Terminator-esque man-o-man chase through the streets of um, Texas, ultimately. Let's talk about Javier Bardem's character's hair. Yes. It's got like a 70s grain chill vibe to it. It's like a bowl cut. Now, what... That feels to me, David, like a very um, brave choice by the Coen brothers. I'm pretty sure I read an article where they said the first time he walked onto set, just everyone pissed themselves. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. But to go with that, to go with that choice, and it's so good. Well, it's It's almost like he's a robot, but he's trying to dress... In a contemporary <laughs> retro nice. mode, isn't he? He's trying to wear the yeah. slightly long collars. He's trying to sort of um, wear the denim. So he sort of um, feeds into society, fades into society. But obviously, you know, um, fashion isn't an algorithm to that extent. And he's robotically trying to execute a look, but he's not quite fulfilling it. The other thing in the novel, there's hardly any description of what he looks like. Isn't no, there? No, there isn't. So the Co- Have you read it then? I haven't, no, but just from people's reviews. Oh. So uh, the Coen brothers are really given clear license to do what they want, but it just makes him even more off-kilter and psychotic, doesn't it? This kind of bizarre... Mm. And also, it's, he's trying to be fashionable, but he's all about function. So I can imagine I can imagine him just putting that bowl on his own head on a, on a chair and just cutting around it, like he's getting pastry off the top of a cut cake or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Every yeah. now and then sorting out his hair. It's um, Yeah. So the hunter becomes the hunted. Absolutely. Uh, and um did you not find it so incredibly stressful I, when Yes, I did. There was two occasions I did. When Josh Brolin um goes back to the car because he's gonna get oh. the guy's dying. Wonderful. And the thing is, it's so well filmed and so stressful because the drug dealers return and they chase him through the night. Thing is, it's act one. Josh Brolin's not going to die. Um, you know, his, his mug is on the poster and everything. But I, Is that what you're thinking then when you watch it? No, I'm not because it's so well put together. I'm actually Yeah, because I'm not thinking that at all. No, not yeah, at all. So it shows... I don't act. know where it's going. Yeah. 100%. It's like, I don't think you're going to survive this, mate. I don't think you're going to outrun this lot. 
And then you have that amazing bit where he's been hiding out in the outback all night. He wakes up the next morning. They find him again. And then you have that amazing bit where he leaps into the water to get away from them. And their dog chases him. Now, when I first saw it, it shows how ridiculous I was mentality-wise. I thought Josh Brolin was going to save the dog because I thought the dog was drowning and they were going to be friends. I know it's ridiculous. I thought that absolutely nuts but when i realized the dog not not the second viewing that was the first viewing but when you were when you came out of the cinema on the first viewing looking down your nose at people i know good great well <laughs> clearly it was above my head wasn't it it was massively above my head i was expecting a far more mainstream film i'm quite embarrassed i even revealed that about my dog expectations but it's a case of um the second time you watch it uh you obviously realize the dog is actually still chasing him and um, I've never seen that image before, a man being chased by a dog. In the water. Yeah, in the water, both of them paddling frantically away from each other. And then you have that amazing bit of editing where he's having to load his gun as a dog gets out of the water and tries to attack him, which is uh, really mm. well edited and put together, incredibly so. Well, the other good one is when... Um, uh, unless you've got another scene, don't let me butt in. No, no, no. But, um, when uh, Sugar uh, first finds him in the hotel and um, just the amazing piece of... Uh, well, one of the good things about um, Oh Brother, Where Are I? No, No Country for Old Men. It's a very... Get the, get the right film. <laughs> you really malfunctioned. Absolute malfunctioned. Yeah. No wonder I didn't like it. We're talking about two films. He was like C-3PO yeah. <laughs> drunk then for a second, wasn't it? Um, basically, yeah. when uh, he turns up and he's outside Josh Brolin's door. and mm, At the motel. Uh, at the motel. And he does that amazing thing where he rings the reception up and you can hear it ringing in the background and no one picks up. So he knows he's dead. And there's an amazing lecture that a lot of people reference with with really good script writing. It's by Andrew Stanton, who who directed um, uh, Finding Nemo. Nemo, Absolutely. And he talks about the two times two effect. And that's when uh, you don't tell the audience. You leave little crumbs for them to make the connections. So, for instance, when he's ringing up the receptionist, I'm like, why are you ringing up the receptionist? Are you going to order food or something while you're about to be killed? But then you suddenly realise, no, we had a conversation with the receptionist earlier. He knows he's downstairs. And oh. he's not picking it up. And you get that a lot with No Country for Old Men. Yeah, you do. Lots. Of, and, and it stimulates you, Andrew Stinton says, Stanton, sorry, says, as a um, as a viewer, because you're doing not homework, but you are doing a bit of work. You're making the connections yourself and you feel a bit good about yourself. Spielberg talks about it a lot. Let the audience come to the conclusion. Don't give it to them sort of thing. Like, for instance, when um, Sugar comes out of the house. Sugar. Sugar. It's really putting me off. I know. I thought it was odd. I know know how you... I know it's... Yeah. Um, Anton Sugar, is it? Sugar, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, When he comes out of Kelly McDonald's house, you don't know if he shot her or not. Oh, But he checks his boots, and then you make the reference to the previous scene that when he shoots people, he's always worried that he's going to get his boots... um, dirty with blood so when he checks his boots it's like no he has shot her he has killed her and you make that connection are we ruining it this needs a spoiler 
alert, doesn't it? This I guess, with a, I guess with a deep dive, it's going to have When you got a deep, exactly. Absolutely. A deep dive, yeah. You can't you just get. give a basic level review. You, you're digging no. deep. You've got your cinematic shovel out and you're going into archaeology mode. You, you're going deep. Yeah. Another interesting... That, well, that motel reminds me of Terminator. There's a motel oh, in Terminator. Oh, 100%. Isn't it? It's totally... Yeah. Don't shout at me, David. Absolutely. Keep your voice down, <laughs> sunshine. Good are into Cockney mode, then. But no, you're completely right. The whole of that scene is what I thought the rest of the film was going to be about. Do you know what I mean? I thought you'd get another version of that. Right. So, I mean, it's completely nuts. I mean, we're, we're doing spoilers, but I mean, one thing that completely threw me the first time I t- saw it, which severely subverts any Hollywood storytelling expectations, is that Josh Brolin, your hero, is, sh- is killed quite early into the third act. And it's not by Chigurh. It's by um, a random bunch of um, gang members linked to the money. And you don't even see him killed. I mean, how nuts is that? As an audience, yeah. I was like, hello, where are we going with this? So your main man's gone. Yeah. Absolutely Yeah, surreal. strange, isn't it? But there are... Did you, did you find that very, very, very frustrating? Um, disorientating and then frustrating and confusing. It was almost as though um, I was sitting down to eat um, chicken, but it just tasted of, um, I don't know, porridge. I was confused. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm, I'm eating this food. Does chicken taste like porridge anyway? So it does, doesn't it? Um, I don't I don't think so. Because, I mean, <laughs> porridge is oats. I don't want to be controversial. Don't want to start an I argument. I think it does. Yeah, porridge. You have a bowl of porridge, it tastes like chicken. That's going to be, um, maybe in, in a prison, you know, it's been mixed in with a gruel or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you know. There's a possibility. But um, I have a lot of sugar on my um, sugar on my porridge, so it'd be very sweet chicken. Do you? How yeah. much sugar? Um, do you know? I never know because I think they're actually. We're talking much sugar. tablespoons. Uh, uh, high uh, heat tablespoons of sugar. So it's not just like a, a conservative amount. It's a very liberal. Mini mountains. Mini of mountains. Sugar. Mini um, Mount Everest. How many tablespoons are we talking? Um, throughout, I keep touching you know, adding more. So it might be uh, four, which isn't good. Four at the start and then two or three. No, no, throughout. no, four throughout. Four heaped. Four heaped. That is fucking terrible. I know, it's terrible. Dude. It's best just to go with syrup at the beginning. That's what I've learned. And leave the sugar in the kitchen. That's another pointer. So it's not there for you to dive back into. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, but that is horrific. So this second time of sitting down watching it, David, how does it compare to the, some of the movies that ra- that Mandy has randomly picked for you on a sa- on a Saturday? Are you sitting there going, "Oh, I'm not feeling this"? Oh. Um, no, 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 no. I watched it in one go. It was very, very good. I knew the ending was gonna. So I, I came to the ending with new eyes, and. Um, it was more intriguing because in so many ways it's very 80s action Terminator-esque. I mean, there's one bit where they even he even operates on himself in a motel room, yeah. just like the Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. another proper almost Arnie moment. Well, but isn't there another bit with, like, with, with a tracker where he's just looking at the motel yeah, room? Yeah, definitely. You could hear the tracker beep, 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 and it's getting closer and closer. And there's an amazing bit when Josh Brolin's in bed and it's all going through his head and he thinks it's ridiculous how he knows where I am all the time and he finds a tracker in the actual case of money which is really good the other one is when um sugar is badly injured from that 
uh, gunfight we're just talking about when he finds him in the motel. And then uh, he blows up a massive car which just explodes in the background. So everyone leaves a pharmacy and he can just wander in and grab what he wants so he can start operating on himself um, in his hotel room. And I mean, that's like something out of an 80s action film. That is so good. Do you know what I mean? But then after that, you then go into the third act and it subverts all those expectations. I was expecting a third, you know, crunch down with him, Lewin, Josh Brolin and Chigurh. But it just um, doesn't happen. It just kind of, I mean, the whole theme of the film is about fate or are we just living in a world of chaos? And and the um, the film is very much the idea that life isn't a neat hollywood plot narrative we're not luke skywalker do you know what i mean you know you can just be randomly shot i mean josh brolin is almost killed like he's an extra in his own movie do people get shot in that arundel um i've heard of muggings but i haven't heard oh absolutely definitely what sort of mug- muggings um, muggings uh basically around um alleyways to get to the car parks a lot of the time. There's some In dark Arundel? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Quite what, right. Not a knife point. Um, I don't know if there was a knife involved, but there would have certainly at least been, I don't know, a brick and a, a, a pair of socks or something. There'd be some kind of improvised weapon. Do you know what I mean? But um, Do you feel safe walking the streets of Arundel? As long as I'm not going through alleyways, I'm in a high street and um i'm okay then but i think anywhere if you're on your own type of thing people might see you as cheap pickings type of thing mm. can you imagine having a bar down walking around arundel doing this i can't i think he'll go wherever the money is wherever the contract is yeah i think you're Simple right. as that. i think he'd happily wander into the co-op and start flicking a coin and saying heads you're dead tells you know you can live in sort of another oh, customer now that scene david now that scene absolutely now that's a lovely scene what, what so Go, you know, go for it, go for it. You no, go on, what were you say? I was just thinking, obviously, the whole coin flip thing is the idea of, you know, is there fate or is it just chaos? What did you think when you left the film? Did you think, um, you know, that that uh, coin had travelled all the way through its life to be in that shop where he's about to shoot the um, the shopkeeper if it flips on the right side of the coin? Or do you think it's just chaos and bad luck that he's wandered into that shop? I would say chaos and bad luck. And I think the end of the film kind of mirrors that, doesn't it? It's the idea that, you know, our lives aren't Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker. It's all just random rubbish. And I think so. I think we, we, we put, the, put, put it all in order to make ourselves feel better. And I wasn't delivered that with the film the first time I watched it. It wasn't that no. neat, linear. No. Um, I didn't get my strokes as a cat. You know, a cat gets oh, its strokes. What were you going to say? No, not, not, not the stroke, not the NHS stroke, the feline stroke. No, I wasn't thinking the NHS oh, stroke. What other strokes are there? The uh, the water stroke? Oh, my stroke in my... Oh, there we go. Absolutely. Darkened auditorium. Things happen. Dear me, the imagination. What's the water stroke? Uh, that would be the, uh, the front paddle or the breast stroke, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the water stroke. The lady stroke. The um the breast stroke. The water stroke, the aqua um, stroke. Cutting but I, I, that's an amazing film. It's a petrol station, is it? And he goes yes. in and he flicks the coin. And he says this and, um, coin started in nineteen fifty nine and it's been travelling up to this point. I don't know when you want, sir. 
Yeah, that's the shopkeeper. Isn't oh, it? Well, do you better leave the shop here. Uh, did you think that was good? It was that good. Was a... Do you immediately feel very sorry for him? He's only doing his job. Uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure what you, what you mean by that, sir. It's kind of like, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, sir. Well, I thought I'm not sure why you're doing this with me, sir. Uh, do you think you're going to be here? There you go. I'll tell you, if it's a good script, it can transcend to all mediums and it shows it could be a radio drama. That could be Radio 4. You could but, so he gets away with it, which is it's so tense and he gets away with it, but then the coin flip comes back later with Woody Harrelson. Is that right? It does, yeah, absolutely. And you know what's going to come. You know what's coming. Doof. The cattle gun. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sim- yeah. Simple as that. The other fascinating thing, talking about the actors, is um, it was originally nearly a very different cast. Oh, uh, someone said Heath Ledger yes, was wanted. Yes, he wanted to spend more time with his children, which you can't knock him for that. But um, the Cohen brothers desperately wanted him. And um, the other one that was really interesting is Tommy Lee Jones' assistant, his deputy. Yeah. He auditioned for it five times, and it was nearly his in the bag. But then jo- Audition for what? Um, Llewellyn. Llewellyn's role. Sorry, I should have said really? that clearly. Llewellyn's role. And Josh Brolin, at the last second, gave it an audition tape because... Um, with his Hollywood circle of friends, they told him that, you know, the, um, the Coen brothers are doing a Cormac McCarthy film. And Josh Brolin was on the set of um, the zombie film that Robert Rodriguez was making, Planet Terror. I've forgotten the name, sorry, Planet Terror. And he said to Robert Rodriguez, would it be possible for me to use a camera to film an audition during the lunch break so I can send it off? And Robert Rodriguez said, even better than that, we'll use a new Genesis camera, which was a big digital camera then. And I'll ask my friend to help us who's on set. And that friend was Quentin Tarantino. So Robert Rodriguez lit and filmed it with this new Genesis camera and Tarantino directed him. No way. No, that's exactly it. And then, then he sent it in. And um, David, that's all. What this is what I wanted on the deep dive. I knew you'd bring the goods. Thank you. That's lovely to hear. That's going to send <laughs> me to that's sleep amazing. with a smile. That's a super little story. And um, in some ways, it's great for Josh Brolin because obviously Josh Brolin he did the Goonies and then he went to No Man's Land and he's blooming good in this. He doesn't feel like. This is his first, like, big star vehicle movie. He, he was this, okay, then, his big star? Oh, yeah, God, yeah. He was nothing before this. He'd gone into limbo. He, he was in limbo. He was part of, like, Hollywood circles, but on the periphery. Like, Robert Rodriguez had given him a role in Planet Terror, his zombie grindhouse movie. But he was definitely on the peripheries. That's what put him on the map. Um, no I country for old men. So, um, I did, did not know that. And um, you're right, it says career decline. Oh, massively. He did nothing off the Goonies, just bits and pieces. And that totally, you know, injected him into the, um, the mass consciousness. And then he got the role, uh, took it off the, um, the deputy. You always just think, God, you know, that deputy must have thought, okay, I'll be Tommy Lee Jones's, like, you know, um, stooge type of thing. But my career could have been a lot different. Uh, a week after that, Josh Brolin was in a horrific motorbike accident. And, you know, obviously when he gets shot at the beginning, he's got that sling on. 
he needed yeah. that sling because he was actually dealing with a motorbike accident because he nearly lost the role. And he said, as he flew through the air after hitting the car, he thought to himself, I was nearly in a Coen Brothers film. This had ruined everything. I'm just looking at his filmography, and you're right. Oh, this when this it hits No Country yeah. for Old Men, suddenly all these big movies oh, yeah, start definitely. happening. He wasn't a um, a big leading man at all. It, that was the film that that made him. I don't I don't think even people realise he was the the, um, the older brother in Goonies. I don't think people even made that connection. I, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. So it was a case of it was a real random. Um, you know, tape sent to them, and the Coen brothers, one minute to midnight, said, "No, no, oh my no." God, sorry, David. I'm look. It's him in the Goonies. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that. No, it's the older brother with the band, the headband. Yeah, he does all the sort of weights and everything, and they tie wow. him off and run off. But he did nothing after that. Basically, you know, Sean Austin uh, had roles, obviously, but um, nothing really happened to Brolin. Bits and pieces. But, you know, he became a proper... And it was quite late in life that he got this... Because he's in his 50s now. And he's great, you know. 55, yeah. yeah, yeah he's, 55. he's great in June and all that. And Sicario, he's absolutely superb. The other one, um, uh, Jevoir Bardin. Can I never pronounce his name? Apologies. Sugar. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. Absolutely. Javelin Bardin. There we go. I can't remember. How do you pronounce his first name? Javier Bardin. There you go. Done like a true native. Um, yeah. <laughs> he had a conflict and he couldn't do the role. So Mark Strong had the role for one weekend. No. Yes. Mark Strong had it for one weekend, basically. He was ready to fly. What do you mean to, one weekend? He was ready to fly up to America. It was his role. And how did, so how did it. And then the scheduling changed and uh, Bardem could get the role back. Oh my God. But verbal contract wise, so there'd be a lot of people kicking themselves when that became the Oscar movie. A lot of people. Oh my God. Without Javier Bardem in that film, he is everything in that film. Oh yeah, 100%. Although I think Mark Strong would have, would it have been as iconic? I don't know, but I think he'd have done a good job, certainly. David, could I play the store scene? Absolutely. Uh, Let's play it. Um, could you set up the store scene possibly? Is this with the coin? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Sugar, uh, Anton Sugar, Sugar, Anton Sugar, wanders in looking for a trail to find Llewellyn, Josh Brolin. And, um, whilst he's there, you know, he doesn't want, uh, he wants as less witnesses of uh, people knowing that he's going around asking questions. But um, he plays this bizarre game of fate and destiny whereby he flicks a coin and then he decides there and then if he's going to execute you or not. I can't handle this happening with just an innocent member of the public. I can't handle stuff like that. He's a very likeable chap as well. You yeah, mean? he's a lovely guy. He's been in that petrol station for years, family petrol station. He actually station. says, oh, my wife's just around the corner. You know, it, this yeah. is my wife's... Uh, father's business and all that it's yeah, very interesting been there years and suddenly this dude turns up out the blue type of thing shall I play it please do please do okay how much 69 see and the gas y'all getting any rain up your way what way would that be I've seen you was from Dallas what business is it of yours where I'm from Friendo. I didn't mean nothing by it. Didn't mean nothing. 
just passing the time. If you don't want to accept that, I don't know what else I can do for you. Maybe something else. I don't know. Will there? Is something wrong with what? With anything. Is that what you're asking me? Is there something wrong with anything? Will it be anything else? You already asked me that. Well, I need to see about closing. See about closing? Yes, sir. What time do you close? Now. We close now. Now is not a time. What time do you close? Generally around dark. At dark. You don't know what you're talking about, do you? Sir? I said, you don't know what you're talking about. What time do you go to bed? Sir? You're a bit deaf, aren't you? I said, what time do you go to bed? Uh, somewhere around 9.30. I'd say around 9.30. I could come back then. Why would you be coming back? We'll be closed. Yeah, you said that. Well, I got to close now. You live in that house all back? Yes, I do. You lived here all your life? This is my wife's father's place uh, originally. <coughs> you married into it? We lived in Temple, Texas for many years. Raised a family there in Temple. We come out here about four years ago. You married into it. That's the way you want to put it. I don't have some way to put it. That's the way it is. What's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Sir? The most you ever lost in a coin toss? I don't know. I couldn't say. Very nice to 
loaded in your pocket. What's that, sorry? Don't put it in your pocket. What did you say? <laughs> Don't put it in your pocket. Oh, goodness me. Put it in your pocket. Absolutely well executed. No, don't put it in your pocket. Then it'll get mixed with the other coins. And then it'll just become a coin. Which it is. Quite right. You're quoting a classic. You are quoting a classic. Quoting a classic. I, um... I just remember watching it. That... There's a scene in Brian and Charles where Ch- uh, Brian is in the uh, store and Jamie Meachie comes in and talks to the store. The lady behind the counter was like, directly taken from that. Oh, right. God, that's an actual influence. Apart from, apart from um, you know, the, all the coin chat. Oh, God, yeah. But that's, I mean... Yeah, it's just really well executed, isn't it? The other good thing about the um, the film is there's just zero music, and I think that re- I think there's a bit of music every now and then, just sort of ambiance kind of music. Oh, really? Is there no music? But there's in it? no music in there at all, and also very basic camera work in that scene. Just your real standard shot reverse shots, shot reverse shot, no music, and so much of it is just shot reverse shot. Not a lot of basic. this going on. And what's that? That's kind of like a... The wind. Oh, goodness me. So I'm not picking stuff off on, on your microphone, I think. I don't know. Oh, aren't you? Were, you? were you making the sound of the wind then, or...? Yeah. No, I can't hear that at all. Can you hear me? I can't hear... I can like, hear that. I can't hear you do the wind. Can anyone hear the wind? Hello? Am I that, here? That, la- that last bit of wind... Very anyway. slightly, very slightly. The main thing I can hear you, your words. So, Sorry. could you hear me saying, Stop putting in your pocket? Could you hear that? The first b- bit I couldn't, but then I could hear it a oh, bit right. more. But no, okay. I thought I, I couldn't hear. Uh, and also, when you're making the sound of the cattle gun, I couldn't hear that either. Oh, right. I can hear that now, yeah, but earlier I was just like, <laughs> so if I look confused, it's because there's just no audio I'm coming. I'm so sorry. No, don't. I'm so sorry do, I not, you. do not apologize. I'm easily confused. I'm an easily confused man. So I would put this, let's be realistic, in my top 10 movies of all time. Not top five, not one, but I absolutely do. Well, it might be, but I adore it. It's in my top 10. Do you understand why it's in my top 10? Or do you look at me going, what the dickens? No, I I think second time watching it, I can definitely see where the merit is, 100%. I still find um, Tommy Lee Jones's dream monologues at the end a bit empty. I mean, having said that... um, Tommy Lee Jones, he's an interesting one with the film as well in the sense that um, he was the only one they wanted straight at the beginning and they got him. But also um, they had uh, had loads of money put aside to have loads of flashbacks of Tommy Lee Jones's dad when he talks about the, you know, the previous generation of the Western and they'd um, got a whole warehouse and they covered it in snow, green screen, and they got horses in there and they were going to film Tommy Lee Jones's dad back in the olden days of the Wild West holding a lantern. But apparently the Coen brothers were so impressed by his execution of the monologue that yeah. on the actual set they were like, you know, just get rid of that warehouse. We don't need it. We're not going to film it. 
David, I have to stop you here because we have breaking news. Oh, yeah, what's that? Someone's put it in the YouTube. This is breaking film news. Are you ready? I am. Go for it. Because this might shock you. Cillian Murphy and Emily Blunt have leave Oppenheimer premiere as actors launch strike. Yes, I have heard the strikes. I I didn't know those two had left the actual premiere. Dear God, I've read about the strike happening, but Hollywood are very nervous about that, aren't they? Incredibly so. I mean, the writer strikes one thing, but if the actors put their tools down, it's like you literally can't film anything, obviously. And also, it's the end of promotion. They stop promoting things, hence leaving the actual premiere. Uh, So it's going to be very problematic. Right, David. So now's your turn to rate... Out of five chalk ices, no country for all old men. Um, please tell us how many chalk ices are you going to give it? I would give it four out of five. I know it's not your expected five out of five, being your personal favourite. I would say the the first and second act kept me emotionally engaged. But then the third act kept me intellectually interested. It's like, okay, I can see what you're doing. This is interesting. It fits with the theme that life isn't this perfect little narrative. There's a lot of chaos and randomness involved. And that's why you're subverting and going away from Hollywood narrative expectations. So it makes sense. I, I know the ending's going to be um, not in keeping with Hollywood. So I was preparing myself for that. So, but I, I would say um, psychologically, I definitely change gears. And also, you know, um, those dream monologues with um, Tommy Lee Jones, they don't quite chime quite as um, passionately inside me than they do for other people. I think it's interesting when he um, he meets that old friend who's in that shack that he visits right at the end, Tommy Lee Jones. And Tommy Lee Jones says, you know, um, things have got, got lost these days. People are just like violent for no reason. And his friend says to him, the Wild West's always been like that. It's always been an unforgiving place. For you to think it's just your era is vanity to think that, you know, uh, things are just different for you and your generation. It's you that's old. It's you that's seeing things from a different perspective type of thing. Yeah, that is good. And then he talks about his dreams, and I'm trying to work them out. I guess he's talking about his dad's time. And uh, then we cut to black, and it's like, bloody hell. That's it. Au revoir. See you next time. Love the Coen brothers. Well, David, thank you so much for this week's, um, or this this podcast, Deep Dive, uh, second one of the series. We've done a Watership Down, and now we've done No Country for Old Men. Thank you very much for uh, watching the movie for me. Absolutely. And giving us your take on it. Thank you, and your take as now, well. Very passionate about the film. Now, we're, do- we're doing another we're doing another one next week yeah, or the week uh, after? Wednesday. We're doing one on Wednesday, then not that week, then the week after. Now, I've given you two other... Oh, uh, is it Wednesday or next Thursday? Is it Wednesday? Yeah, I had to change it, unfortunately. Sorry, Wednesday. No, no, that no, that's now. fine. If you're okay with that, yeah. Wednesday would be yeah. great. Um, so, I gave you two other movies that I, I enjoy. Um... What were they, and which one are you going to watch for next week? I'm going to do Sylvester Stallone, 1987, Over the Top. Hand Wrestling Mania. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's amazing. Over the bloody top. And is that one of your kind of, like, uh, favourites growing up? 
do you know what? I don't know how I feel about it, but I, I'm fond of it. I have really fond memories of it. I think I've seen it a couple of times, and I'd love to know from you whether it's utter dog shit, which I'm imagining it might be, or, um, yeah, or not, or a special little movie. It definitely reminds... I'm not giving away what I think of it at all, because I haven't watched it yet, because I've been focusing on this. Have you never seen it before? Uh, oh, yes, definitely. That's what I was going to say, oh, like right, my yeah. early kind of impressions, that um, yeah. it's very much an 80s video store movie for me. I always remember yeah. seeing the posters of it in video yeah. stores in the 80s. Him with, like, bizarrely a bird of prey in the background and getting ready to yes. do a... Um, wearing, like, a kind of vest. <sighs> Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's got his own move, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I'd love to watch it again. The arm wrestling contest at the end. Oh, it's just brilliant. It's basically... Isn't it just Rocky with arm wrestling? It is and it is. Rocky with... Rocky with his son? Yeah, I guess it is what Rocky with his son. There are different dynamics in there, but you can tell why the studio said yes. Do you know what I mean? It's because it's got that Rocky formula. Do you know what I mean? Oh. And the potential for a new franchise. And apparently he was quite passionate about developing it. It was a, a story near to his heart type of thing. Right. Right, but they never made it. Anyway, this is for next week. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for this week's Random Movie Generator Deep Dive. And thanks for opening my eyes and getting me to watch it again, because I think I would have avoided it. But after doing some research into it and watching it, you know, I wouldn't have given that four out of five. So, I mean, you know, I really was um, unimpressed by it 100%. I was like, what's this? But definitely I can see the merits there, 100%. Hmm. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for watching live on YouTube. There's a fair few people in there. Gemma, Billy, Nicola, Dr. Greggles, Mike Rolls, Martin, Carl, uh, Andy, David something else, David Panel or Panel or Penelian, Penelitad. Lovely. Uh, Steve, uh, Sam, JP. Um, yeah, the cardboard giraffe. Thank you very much. Any uh, qu- we'll... any pointers about the film at all they've mentioned? Or I know we need to get going, but no, we need to get going, David. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's, t- it's, it's it will come to a natural end. Don't don't drag it out, Dave. Yeah. I'm one of those people Thank who just you. won't leave your house. It's like the party's over now, Dave. It's time to go. Here's your car keys. Thank- Thank you, everyone, and sleep tight, and uh, bye. Au revoir, people. Take care. Bye. Sleep well. Have good what do we do when it's night time? I don't know. I think say maybe like an owl, a hoot, like an owl's wing. Sleep well, people. Hoot, hoot. Sleep well.